0: This is the Outwith podcast, and I'm Hala Mohyadine, and I'm delighted to announce that this next series of episodes of the podcast are being produced in cooperation with The Ferret. Now, for those who don't already know The Ferret, it's an award-winning, independent, investigative media platform. Uh, Media cooperative, rather, because it's owned entirely by its readers and subscribers, of which I am proud to say I am one. Now it delivers cutting edge investigations and their scoops includes investigations into UK arms sales to Yemen, animal rights abuses in Scottish farming and nuclear safety breaches by the Ministry of Defence. And they often get their scoops well before the major news outlets. So they are well worth the reads. They like to nose up the trousers of power Keep everyone to account and their ethos is firmly aligned with our own. And to celebrate, we're offering a special offer for our listeners as well. If you want to subscribe to The Ferret, if you use the code... Out with 19. Uh, when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you'll get the first three months free. If you sign up for an annual subscription using the code Out with 19, you will get £9 off your subscription. It works out to around a third off. So it's a very, very good deal so to take advantage of this offer and to keep ahead of the game to to find out more about the investigations both at home and abroad head to theferret.scot hit subscribe and use the code outwith19 to take advantage of that discount. Welcome back to Out With, the podcast that takes you beyond the headlines and beyond our borders. I'm Halima Houdin. Now, the Democratic freshman Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been making the headlines since well before she was elected to Congress. But in early February 2019, AOC, as she's known, went even more viral than before when she quizzed ethics experts about money, in politics and government corruption. That video has been watched over 39 million times, possibly over 40 billion as, uh, as, we, as we record this podcast. Uh, but what it's also done is it's brought the phrase dark money back into the spotlight. But what exactly is dark money? And is it really a threat to our democracy? And if it is, how serious a problem is it? Well, to find out, I'd like to welcome Peter Gig to the kitchen. Uh, Peter is the investigations editor for the news website opendemocracy.net. And they've been investigating dark money in politics, specifically British politics, uh, for about two years now. Peter, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me in the kitchen.
0: Yeah. Um, let's just start off. What exactly is dark money? It's a phrase that you hear bandied about left, right and centre, especially if you spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, But what is it?
1: Well, really what dark money means is it's money that gets involved in the political system. We don't know where it comes from. It's a phrase that really originates in America, particularly known with a book called Dark Money by Jane Mayer, who's a really famous New Yorker journalist who started looking at this influence of money in politics. And it's really something that we traditionally think about in America, because America had this big decision called Citizens United, which means that uh, corporations can have the same right as citizens, so they can give political donations, and they can do it basically in secret. That's where you hear these super PACs. If you're wondering, if you're watching presidential election in America, you're going, what's a super PAC? But well, a super PAC is basically a, a group of, of really dark money, and you don't know where it's, where, where it's coming from. Uh, and the idea is that you know, it's influencing the political process. So it's people buying influence in ways that we don't understand. And that's where the dark aspect comes from. We've always known that money is involved in politics. People make political donations. You know, I'm from Ireland. I grew up in a, you know, well aware of what political corruption looked like. But the difference with dark money is that we actually, you know, at root, you just don't know where the source of this money is. So these are political actors that are uh, that are really much in in the in the public sphere. Whether we see a lot in Britain, say with think tanks, who are we don't know where they get their funding from, often, or it's political campaigning that we don't know where the money that's behind that. And we're actually speaking just in the week that these, I think, is this, how many is it now? Eight, eight Labour and three Conservatives have set up this new independent grouping. They're not registered as political party, they're actually registered as a, as a company, so we don't know where their funding comes from either. So, this can, it's, a, it's anything like that, it's any issue where we just don't know where the money that's driving our politics is coming
0: from. But it's not necessarily illegal, is it?
1: No, not necessarily illegal, actually often not illegal at all. That's part of the problem, really. So if you look at, um, so in the UK at the moment, we're recording this in the run to Brexit, and you might be listening to it in a year's time, and we might be still recording this in the run of Brexit. But if you look at who's been, you know, I just published a story this week that was looking at who's been influencing the, the British government around no-deal Brexit and kind of, what you would well, say, a hard Brexit, and one of the big, probably the big um, kind of people putting ideas into that space, or a group called the Institute of Economic Affairs. They're a think tank. They've been going since 1950s. They're libertarian, like kind of very radical free marketeers, but they don't declare where their, their donations come from, so we don't know. We know from some leaks over the last few years that they've got money from the tobacco lobby. We know they've got money from the sugar lobby, uh, from the gambling lobby, and they often take what we see as controversial positions. So they're often, you know, against tobacco regulation, against sugar taxes, in favour of privatising the NHS, in favour of privatising bits of the BBC. But really, we don't know where that money comes from. So what you're talking about there is influence in the political process, and we don't know who who's buying that influence and. And if we don't know where the money is coming from, then it's really hard. To, it's it, it's quite insidious then because you don't know what you know, who's influencing yeah. what. You know, if you're if you're listening, if you're watching a, a, a television program and someone comes on from a representative body, you know, it's the it's the uh, import and exporters association. Well, you know what their position is. You know their their members are importers and exporters, and they've got a position. Or the Scottish Whiskey Association or, or any other kind of variation on that? But the issue is when you've got uh, political funding coming into the political process and we don't know where it comes from and probably the most well-known and kind of egregious example of that was kind of with Aaron Banks during the Brexit referendum because you had like eight million pounds of spending on a massive referendum we just know where that money came
0: from. Now so we're, we're, we're meandering onto Brexit and I guess part of the reason we're talking about dark money and this influence in politics is because we're at you know let's just say understatement of the century a rather pivotal moment in British and European politics so the the stakes are high. What's this dark money business? I mean, we, we know that oh, money is politics in the US, so money is politics and um, money is speech, rather, in US politics. So it's it's been around there for a while and it's accepted there. Is this is, is this a relatively new concept that we're seeing here in Europe and in 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 Britain particularly since the since all this Brexit business has been happening?
1: I don't know. It's actually quite difficult, you know, because really what you're talking about is we've we our, we've got what's called the electoral commission. So in the United Kingdom we've an electoral commission. The electoral commission regulates uh, elections in the United Kingdom, and part of what it does is, is regulates campaign donations, which are made during the kind of.
0: And why do they do that? Why do well, they? Why do they regulate the amount of money that goes in? Well, because
1: that's a decision that was taken. We took a decision uh, about nearly two thousand to say, look, you can only spend X amount of money during a political campaign. You can only spend so much per constituency. We just had a case quite recently in South Thanet from twenty fifteen general election, where an MP, is sitting, who's still sitting, um, a Conservative MP, was accused of breaking electoral spending to do with how how. Uh, How this bus, this battle bus, is traveling around the country. And this can often feel and seem quite strange and arcane. And one of the reasons why this matters is because actually the amount of money that people are, your candidates are allowed to spend in each constituency is actually quite low. It's only £15,000. Which is
0: nothing if you look at this in US terms.
1: Exactly. And that's that's one of the reasons why, in some ways, small amounts of money can make a much bigger difference in the United Kingdom than it can in the US. In the US, they are now well into the realms of millions and millions and millions just in small races in places. No, you know, very few of our listeners are even heard of way before you get to presidential elections or or kind of Senate and House races. Whereas in the United Kingdom, we're not in that space because we've got it's quite tightly regulated. So we're regulated by uh, a regulator came in in the early 2000s. But there's a lot of issues around kind of how, how that process works. But even before the regulator, you would have had lots of money floating around politics, lots of donations, and they weren't made public. And partly what's happened is since the regulations come in, donations are made more public, a lot of people who would have given money in the past, particularly, really what you're talking about in Britain is most donations went to Conservatives and Labour got their money from the unions. That was pretty much the breakdown until Tony Blair came into office. It was just the nature of how political funding worked in the UK. Not that surprisingly. Organised Labour, back the party of Labour. Capital, back the party of capital. and Conservatives and Labour. What you're seeing now is a bit more of a shift because people don't, like to, you know, it's not, people don't like to be seen to be donating to political parties often because it can beg the question, why are you doing that? Um, and so that's one of the reasons you know, what you're seeing in the United Kingdom is probably mirroring what's happening in the States. Is that people are looking for other ways to get to influence the political process rather than making out the right donations to political parties.
0: Okay. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. This is, we have this regulation that, you know, designed, what we would say, to protect democracy, to protect so that we know where uh, different views are coming for so you can try and determine the motivation behind uh, a donation. Is that is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, well, that's pretty much, that's, that, that's really what the idea is coming from. But if you look at, we are speaking just in the week that a, a new report came out from the DCMS, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport Select Committee. And what they found is basically the Electoral Commission is is, is a failing institution. Because if in, in Britain, the maximum penalty for breaking electoral law is £20,000. So if you look, we won't go into the Brexit referendum yet, but if you look at the Brexit referendum, the ceiling was £7 million for the official campaigns. So breaking the law, you get fined £20,000 on the ceiling of £7 million. You know, It's not a huge it's not a great you term you know, you're not really going oh, wow god i mustn't do this and you know, this is going to be really bad and that's really kind of a if you look at the work that i've been doing for you know dot opendemocracy.net uh which has uh, you know been looking at a lot of this kind of uh, at this kind of um this kind of world, what you're finding time and time again is that the regulatory system that we have is not fit for purpose, and that's what the DCS committee has found as well. That you know these are laws designed back in the, a digital in an analog age, and they're now been having to come to bear in a digital world where you're seeing not just a kind of a digital campaigning, but also new ways of spending money uh, that are that are really kind of novel in the British political context.
0: Right. Let, let let's let's look at some of the reporting that you've done then because you guys were almost, one could say, at the forefront of investigating dark money and this all came... Tell us how it started. Why did you start getting involved in this investigation into dark money?
1: Well, it's quite a funny. It's, 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 this is not what I would expect to have been talking about uh, when I first started looking at this, like, two years ago. Basically, I got a phone call from Adam Ramsey. I was working as a teaching journalism at the University of West Scotland in the air. And uh, my friend, and uh, Adam Ramsey, who lives in Edinburgh, who works for Open Democracy, my colleague, he rang me up and said, look, I'm really interested in the Democratic Unionist Party's Brexit campaign. Uh, and, I was, and how they spent loads of money. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because I'm interested in that too. And what had happened was, this was probably February 2017, so about seven, eight months after the Brexit vote. Uh, and during, when, when Adam was going around the UK covering the Brexit referendum, he'd noticed in Edinburgh, people with placards, vote leave, and it said down the bottom, a little imprint, which everyone has to have in their placards, uh, supported by Geoffrey uh, Donaldson on behalf of the Democratic Unionist Party. So it was an imprint, an official imprint. And he was like, well, why is the Democratic Unionist Party having placards in Edinburgh. Um, well, just
0: for context, um, the Democratic Unionist Party is a party which is only to be found in, in Northern, Northern, Ireland. Northern Ireland. Yes,
1: they're a they're Northern Ireland only party. They don't run candidates in, in Great Britain. So that's kind of interesting. And I noticed, I'd been covering the referendum as well, I was in Sunderland the day before the referendum, and I was on the train and I noticed the, the free newspaper in the Metro. And the Metro had a huge, big four-page wraparound ad, vote, leave, take back control, the big vote, leave message. And on the back was the DUP's kind of lion logo. And again, funded by sponsored by the Democratic Unionist Party. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Like, what are they doing? Like, that's going to be expensive. And the Metro doesn't even circulate in Northern Ireland. So yeah. I was like, well, that's kind of strange. So i would kind, of, kind of thinking about it. And I I'd, I'd also was aware that there's, in Northern Ireland, because I used to cover Northern Ireland politics, and I lived in Belfast, that there was a loophole from the Troubles where electoral donations were not declared because it was thought it might be uh, dangerous for people who are giving money to political parties they could be targeted. So there's no uh, declaration of political donations. So I was worried that it is possible to spend money in Northern Ireland with with a political party during a referendum, and um, because it's all one constituency, There's not different, it's not 650 constituencies, it's just one. So uh, I was kind of interested in this. So myself and Adam started doing some more research and doing some digging. And we started trying to put together, like, well, what kind of spending would this have been? And so basically we just wrote a story about how the DUP had spent a huge amount of money on this referendum campaign, far more than it ever spent on any general election. I think there'd been a general election the year before and it spent £50,000. And it turned out they'd spent four, about £435,000 30, 4, during the Brexit vote. It's just huge, especially by Northern Irish standards. So that was the kind of... Snow, that was the first story we did on this and it kind of snowballed from there and we started you know it started us asking these questions about well where is this money coming from uh, and that led us to asking loads more questions about lots of different individuals.
0: And one of those individuals was Aaron Banks so for people who are perhaps haven't been following this as closely as we have a you're very lucky um, and b Aaron Banks so he was one of these you know he's colourful character um very pally with Nigel Farage, who, of course is very well known as the, the former frontman of UKIP, and certainly at the time of the Brexit, vote well, he was. But um, how does Aaron Banks come into all of this?
1: Well, so what happened was we started writing stories about DP's donation, and we started snowballing there. And we wrote a load of stories, and then eventually the DP had to say where some of their money had come from, or did they name one person? We still don't know. So you know, if you're out there, we're still at Open Democracy trying to find out where the DP money came from and other uh, other um, other funding. So. You know, if you come go to www.opendomoxy.net, we're still sort of crowdfunding to try and find out this. But we then started asking loads of other questions. But where did the other money in the referendum come from? And as a journalist, I found it really interesting because I realised, like, not many people had asked these questions, which has really surprised me. So we started looking at Iron Banks because Iron Banks had spent a huge amount of money during the Brexit referendum. This guy really came out of nowhere, came out of left field. Um, and he just, um, he basically became, he he'd been a, In the 80s, a kind of a failed Conservative candidate in the council elections down down in England. And then in 2015, he emerged on national television saying, I'm going to give £100,000 to UKIP. And Michael Gove said, I've never heard of Aaron Banks. He said, I'm going to give a million pounds to UKIP. So that's where Aaron Banks came. 2015, out of nowhere. Yeah, he did come
0: out of nowhere, didn't he?
1: Really came out of nowhere. He was a businessman... Uh, businessman in Bristol. And I became interested because he'd spent I worked out he'd spent at least eight million pounds on the Brexit vote. You know, so this is a huge amount of money. Uh, he, he hadn't been the official campaign. He tried and failed to be the official campaign, but he was very much very close to Nigel Farage. He ran Leave.eu, which some people might remember as particularly you know, during the Brexit vote, you had vote leave, which is the official campaign, and kind of did more of the global Britain, we're all kind of leaving the European Union to to go out into the world, whereas Leave.eu did a lot more of the breaking point, you know, the quite much more, like, kind of nativist rhetoric. So Leave.eu was quite a vitriol, quite a, you know, very important part of the Leave referendum. So I started looking into him and asking questions.
0: Sorry, just to cut you off. So one was the official campaign. Yeah. And that meant, in terms of spending rules, they were able to qualify for more... Higher threshold? They could spend up
1: to £7 million. So the official campaign can spend £7 million, and unofficial campaign can only spend £700,000. Okay. And so we started looking. So at already
0: the sums of eight million
1: is. Kind quite, of, yeah, you're yeah. kind of going. Whoa! How did you manage to spend eight million pounds? Given that you weren't the official campaign.
0: I mean, I could spend eight million pounds. Yeah. Quite easily. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yes. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, so, you know we, we, Mostly yeah. on shoes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to make that gag, and I thought better of it.
0: I know, God. See, well, I'm I'm much more of a hack than you are. Um, no, but it's you know spending that amount of money, you know, is.
1: It's a difficult. It's probably a diff, It should. It's quite a hard. It's you know. It's, it's difficult
0: to get it under the under the table, if you like, like out of sight, because you know it's especially when we're operating in an environment where there are there is this supposed scrutiny and there are these legal limits, and if you're the official, because there was quite a fight to be the official. Yeah, campaign. there was a really.
1: Aaron um, Banks. Really took this very seriously and fought very hard. Yeah, but there's a few things. There's a few re- ways you can do. The, you can do. You can do that. Really, one is you can do like leave.eu said they did, which was spend loads of money before what's called the official campaigning period. Yeah. So in the United Kingdom, I can give money to political parties and not have to declare it if it's outside of a, cam- a regulation campaign period. So what they did was one way of doing it: spending a lot of money before the campaign, or that's how they said they did it. Mm-hmm. So we can argue a toss about whether they did or not. And actually, the electoral commission found that they didn't do some of the things they said they did. But you could say, look, instead of the official campaign was the last, um, it, was about 10, it was about the last twelve weeks from mid-April up until the twenty-third of June referendum date. So you could spend money; you could only spend up to seven hundred thousand pounds in that tight bit. But in the months before that, and my as my whistleblowers, I've done a lot of big stories on Leave.eu, i whistleblowers within Leave.eu subsequently showed that this spending was going on in extensive amounts of money, millions of pounds have been spent even before the year of the referendum had started. So that's one way. And the other way you can do, which is what Leave.eu and Vote Leave did, was is set up new groups, which basically are you. So you've got Leave.eu, but you've got Grassroots Out, you've got Go, you've got Labour Leave, you've got Vote Leave, you've got Be Leave, which is, um, this is a plethora, it's a complex world. But really, at the back of all these different names is something quite simple, which is basically people trying to spend money. Mm-hmm. At a time when money is coming in the door, you need to try and get it out of the door and, and money is influence money is influence of course, money is influence Le, uh, vote leave spent over three million pounds on Facebook ads in the last couple of days of the referendum you know and it's a huge, these are serious amounts of money, especially in the context of british politics so and this is what people were trying to do, and that 's one of the ways iron banks was able to do it, but what I ended up doing was actually looking. Not so much, I subsequently looked at a lot of what happened at Leave.eu, but that was quite later. But what I started off asking was a simple question. Is Aaron Banks rich enough to be able to spend that amount of money? Which is quite, you know, it's, it, it's a classic journalism question. You follow the money and you ask, you know, can someone afford to do something? So if you, if you take that he spent about 8 to £10 million pounds in a Brexit vote, he's often, and I started looking into looking into his business affairs. You know, looking through co- company filings, uh, and what's interesting as well, it's not—it's not that difficult to create a persona of yourself in the media. So he'd been listed as saying being worth between 100 and 250 million pounds. I think it was probably in the Sunday Times Rich List originally. Sounds but, quite Trumpian. It's quite Trumpy, and then what happens is, you know, and journalists, I'm not—you know—I do it myself sometimes. You look through press cuttings and you say, oh, he's worked between that. And you yeah, just use that figure. That there, and yeah. it just becomes the figure that goes around and around and around and around. It becomes a multimillionaire. You know, it's the worth hundreds of millions. And then when you sit back and go, actually, how much money is there in this? And when we started to do that, you're like, oh, there's not all that much money in these companies. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of money to spend. Um, and so we started looking at that. The Electoral Commission had already looked at our banks and said, there's nothing to see here. It's all fine. After reporting done by us and others, they reopened the investigation and subsequently fined Aaron Banks for three breaches of electoral law. Aaron Banks is currently under investigation by the National Crime Agency, who believed that money that he spent during the Brexit referendum was, was um, illegitimate it Had come from, uh, had not come from a, a, a legitimate source because Brit- political funding in the United Kingdom has to come from either a business or a person who's domiciled and registered in Britain. Uh, and also the Information Commissioner's office fined Aaron Banks for, for breaking data protection law during the Brexit referendum. So subsequently, after, you know, I'm not just saying we were the only ones doing it, but after reporting started to happen about iron banks, um, people started, you know, the authorities finally started looking at them. And some of the reporting was just, you know, we did a story um, about his diamond mines in Lesotho, mm. which was subsequently followed up by Channel Four News yeah, say, and, and, saw and it BBC. 4, hey. Yeah, we well, actually did the story originally in March, and nobody credited us subsequently. And to give That's you a little so cheeky, I it's hate very it. very cheeky. Happens. And to give you a little bit of what's interesting as well is how the media worked with this story. So we, for a long time, were kind of pushing this story. Carol Cardwallard and the Guardian as well. Some mm-hmm. people in the FT like Cynthia Moroku, but in general, the media was really resistant to this story. And it was only when stuff came out about Iron Banks, our emails connecting Iron Banks to Russia, that they finally started really looking at them. But back in March 20, 2018, uh, we started looking at Iron Banks as Lesotho diamond mines. We were doing it for a few months before that because Iron Banks came up and said, I'm going to fund a new political party with Nigel Farage. I'm going to fund it by my diamonds from Lesotho. And I was like, I've been to Lesotho before. It's a really small, very poor, very beautiful mountainous country surrounded completely by South Africa. South Africa didn't overrun it because they didn't want it because it's so poor. I was, I there was no, I, I was kind of going, what diamonds? I'm I'm not a geologist, but like diamonds basically only really come at the end of rivers because that's you know the process that goes. Not at the source. Yes, not at the source <laughs> exactly. Yes, you don't you know you don't need to be it's a not geologist. Not much of a geologist yes, either. But... <laughs> yeah, and so I started digging into this story, and um, and myself and colleagues at uh, another small investigative outlet, source material and also working with a, with a journalist on the ground in Lesotho, we were able to stand up a load of stuff. You know, we were able to find out, we the world's expert in, in Lesotho diamonds telling us that the, the find was geologically impossible. Uh, and also I was able to discover that Aaron Banks' political consultancy was supposed to be consulting in Lesotho with a political party, which normally a consultancy does work for a party and they pay the party pays the consultant. In this case, the consultancy was paying the political parties, which asks a big question, why was Aaron Banks paying Lesotho politicians? And uh, we couldn't. I couldn't give that story away on Fleet Street. I couldn't give it to people for free.
0: Well, this is crazy, though. But So given, I mean, you know, you guys initially seem to be the only ones asking these questions. Why was there this reluctance for people to, well, A, for the Electoral Commission to investigate this? And why were other media outlets reluctant to, to pick? I mean, is it because it's simply, it's just, it's, difficult following money it's difficult going through dry documents and it is hard slog and oftentimes you know you don't get much easy rewards at the end of it so is was it a a laziness issue or were there dark forces behind it
1: no I don't I think it was neither dark forces nor laziness it's kind of it, I think it's a narrowness of, of of kind of thought processes almost I had this conversation with a lot of friends all my you know all my best friends some of my best friends are journalists and like you know a lot of my <laughs> friends are journalists it's the world I work in And for a long time, they were kind of going, why are you interested in this? Because the idea was the referendum had happened. This was a thing that was over. It's an event. But um, for me, it's not about the referendum at all. It's about the process of democracy. It's about how we regulate our democracy, how our democracy works. And this is such a key flagship moment. And the thing that was interesting about the referendum was it was so unusual. Whereas we, we we don't have referendums in this country very often. How they're regulated is very haphazard, even compared to general elections. And unlike general elections, where political parties do exist after a general election, if a political party breaks electoral law, it looks bad. It looked bad for the Conservatives to have to go to court in, in South Tannet there recently. It went on for a long time. One of their uh, party workers was found guilty. You know, the judge said you know, a damning indictment about Conservative Party processes around this. That's not the same with a referendum. These campaigns disappeared. You know, you don't talk, there's nobody, who do you call? On the 24th of June, vote leave doesn't exist anymore. Leave.eu doesn't exist, you know, whatever. I can't even remember what the Remain campaign was called, you know, Stronger In. But no, most people <laughs> can't, exactly. Um, but they don't exist. Not the so, most memorable campaigns. Yeah, so was there, it? it was a much more, and also it was, a, it was such a seismic political moment. So that was one of the reasons I started looking at. It. I don't, I think the resistance towards looking at it from, from journalists was a kind of sense, maybe partly, did we miss this story while it was happening? And also a sense of, well, that was the past. Why are you looking at something? Why, why are you bothered? I had this from people who said to me, why are you bothered about something that happened in the past? The referendum's over, and also I also think people felt uneasy because they felt like they were somehow getting involved with like being on one side of the referendum rather than the other. And I think when I started doing this work, people go, "Oh, is are you? It's because you're a Remainer?" So I said, "No, it's not about that. It's about least well, the integrity of this, the democratic process. And if it's because what happened during the Brexit referendum can and will happen again because of these same electoral laws which don't work."
0: Now, it's it's interesting that you bring this up—the idea that you know, are, are you know. What are your motivations for chasing this? Is this to discredit the the the, the pro Leave campaigns? Um, was there one of the when I sort of go down the rabbit hole and follow the tweets and stuff? And you know, whenever you prevent this incontrovertible evidence that there has been you know wrongdoing by one of the the, the Leave campaigns, the immediate thing they hit you back with is, yeah, but the Remain campaign did this too.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. did they? Well, that's. I think. Um, what I. I. It's an interesting question. I've looked at a little bit of it. Um. I must confess. Is there it, any
0: dark money behind the Remain campaigns, and are people looking into it?
1: There was some. Like, the, what you know, what you had more happening with the Remain campaigns was more. It basically Remain had a lot more business support, so they got a lot more money from businesses. And what they did was they did some of the same stuff in terms of setting up. Um shadowy look at companies that are kind of setting up like ginger groups that looked a bit similar, like, which is what we saw. It's kind of a lot of it came from the Scottish referendum originally. Um, and one of the reasons, like we, the same process happened in the Scottish referendum. The, the reason why, to be blunt, you, you end up looking at, I think partly with the relief campaign, there's two things. One is a lot more. There was no Aaron Banks figure on the Remain side. Just the money was coming from, and on, you can argue a to toss about it, but coming from establishment money. Basically, the Remain campaign was an establishment campaign in which you had big business and big money kind of lining up going, this is something we don't want. Here's some money to stop it happening. Um, what, and you did see some similar things happening in the Scottish referendum too. And one of the reasons I think a lot of us, I would not suspect I would like to have done more work in what, looking at what happened in the Scottish referendum, but just journalistically, when something doesn't produce change, you're less likely to start focusing on it. The reason I think... A, the Leave campaign became. It's partly to do with the extent of what was going on. What you didn't have, say on the Remain side, was things like so. Darren Grimes, who's been reported to poli- who's been reported to met police. So Darren Grimes was a twenty three year old fashion student who set up this little co- campaign called Be Leave, and they think they brought in about one hundred seven pounds in about three or four months in the run up to the Brexit referendum. One hundred and seven pounds. One zero seven pounds. Okay. Yeah, like you know, like that's what? not a lot of money. Not a lot of money. And then in the last week of the campaign, they spent six hundred seventy-five thousand pounds.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and I started looking at this story then after I'd done some of the D P stories, and I de- I, FO- I sent F O I S to the Electoral Commission, Freedom of Information requests to the Electoral Commission to ask for their correspondence in relation to Darren Grimes. Uh, and what I got back was really interesting because the Electoral Commission internally were saying this is really suspect, but we're not going to investigate it. And what. What transpired to happen? Because then, on the back of the on the back of the stories we ran, the electoral commission did reopen their investigation. Subsequently, found Darren Grimes guilty of breaking the law, fined him twenty thousand pounds, and reported him to police to the Met Police. Um, but what had happened was that the, basically Vote Leave had given Darren Grimes six hundred, well, six hundred fifty, twenty five thousand pounds, and another uh, pro Vote Leave campaigner had given him fifty thousand pounds. And this had all been spent on Facebook ads with an obscure data analysis company in um, in Canada called Aggregate IQ. Are they um,
0: linked to Cambridge Analytica? They were linked to Canada. Cambridge okay. Analytica.
1: Okay. But even more interestingly, this money, and under electoral law, you can't do this. You can't coordinate campaigns. If you do that, you have to, You can't declare the sep- spending separately. If we, if me and you would have a campaign and sit down tonight and go, you do this and I'll do that and I'll spend £10,000 and you spend £10,000, We couldn't declare that separately. We'd have to put it together and say it was £20,000. we get closer to the ceiling of what you can spend. Darren Grimes, that money was never even resting in Darren Grimes' bank account, to use a father Ted expression. It was paid directly on his behalf from Vote Leave to Aggregate IQ. And initially, the Electoral Commission ruled that that wasn't coordination, that it was OK for Vote Leave to spend money with somebody else uh, do, just then, use, someone, just else's use someone else's name, and that they weren't coordinating it. Right, okay. as if they would spend six hundred seventy-five thousand. I don't. i not even. I've got my fingers in my ears. I don't know what. What you are want the to
0: electoral commission playing at then? I mean, is this something that I think? I mean, what, I mean, because that just looks
1: bonkers. What you have in the UK, and this has happened to me time and again. It's not just the electoral commission. Almost all the work I do, it's I've ended up having. You know, whether it's Charity Commission, Companies House. HMRC is we have regulation in the United Kingdom. We have these things that look like regulators and they smell like regulators. And from the outside, they're regulators. But to be honest, they're paper paper tigers. If you wanted, if you are, if you want to be to commit malfeasance, to do things that are above or beyond the law, the chances of you getting caught are really, really small. You're just not going to. It's not the place you're going to be. I mean, it's so, they just so low.
0: Not have enough staff, or are they just can't be bothered, or are they? useless. Well, I, it's I, I don't know. It's the,
1: fines are, you know the, the fines are very low. They've, been, they've shed staff. They've had staff leave them. There's a sense of, they feel very embattled. There's a sense, you know, the Electoral Commission was singled out by a number of pro-Brexit MPs and said it was a Remainer front. So there's a sense, and this is the same across these different bodies. You know, like the Institute of Economic Affairs, the think tank, that's a charity. That's still regulation by the Charity Commission, even though they've now subsequently been wrapping them over the knuckles because of are pro-Brexit coverage. But a lot of these think tanks are, are registered charities, and so there's a lot of these areas which are really, really, you know, if you're involved as uh, my work has taken me to, I've, you know, involved in covering fraud in my work on the Brexit referendum. You talk to liquidators as I do. You know, these companies have gone bust, owing uh, revenue hundreds of thousands of pounds with money in all sorts of dodgy places and the liquidator is only given 1000 pounds from HMRC to close a case. They're not able to go and fight these cases. Mm. So there's this and if you are someone who's in that position, the chances of you being brought to book and actually having to face anything that looks like a criminal proceedings is really really low. And I think that was a that's the big issue and it, what happened with the, with the Brexit referendum and the reason it's so interesting in some respects is that on the remain campaign it was very much it was an analog campaign. They were still analog. They were still doing stuff like ringing people's houses. They were still putting up posters everywhere. They were still getting money and spending money in very analog ways. What Leave was, and you saw that, you know, Dominic Cummings, who was the head of Vote Leave, was a very, he's a very smart man, and a very, you know, he's an interesting guy in many respects. And they were pushing the envelope in a way we've never seen before in British politics. They were spending money and doing things in ways we've never seen before. And the way the Remain campaign spent money was actually very predictable and very very old school and that's yeah. one of the reasons it's just not as interesting because there wasn't the same kind of chicanery going on yeah
0: so so i mean in terms of the the the, the chicanery i should call it, um that the the, uh, the the leave campaign was carrying out because they, they were very much more they were online they were they were going after people rather than the the the, the sort of terrible leaflet through the door um because everyone throws out leaflets through the door, unless it's a pizza delivery menu, um, it, they were really going direct into your into your Facebook feed, into your Twitter, into your. I don't, were they doing Instagram at that point? I mean, it's but very much that the social media that people are using every day.
1: Yeah, there was a huge spend on social media. And We only found this out. We only found out what the the Vote Leave ads looked like. A few months ago, because they were released to the DCMS committee, to the Department of Cultural and Media Support, uh, Sport Committee, looking at fake news. Um, leave.eu wouldn't release their adverts, but Vote Leave did. And they're really quite stark, the adverts. They're the adverts that they spent millions on the last few days. And they're all about pictures of, you know, maps of the world with Turkey and saying 7 million Turks are going to come. I was in Albania recently doing some training and showing them some of these Vote Leave adverts. And they were saying, you know, and they've got pictures of Albania and the Albanians are going, why didn't they, what's wrong with us? What the hell's going on? And they were very targeted at these kind of, and actually what's interesting as well, is they were targeted at messages that weren't being pushed in public. And right. it was funny for me. I'm was it I guess, the
0: kind of thing that would be illegal then to, to, to say in public? Not, I mean, a,
1: not illegal, but it would look bad. It would look bad against the message, you see. And it what social media allowed them to do, and I subsequently covered the Donald Trump election campaign I drove across the states, and I saw something happening there. It allows you to say lots of different messages and target them with specific people. And that's the big difference. So if back in the old days, you know, you put up a poster at the end of your road. Actually, don't know because you're not, really, you're not allowed to put up posters. But you put up a poster and you're, everyone would see what you said on the poster. Yeah. And I remember living in Belfast and it was a general election and the Ulster Unionists ran on this. They had a slogan, ordinary, decent people vote Ulster Unionists. It was an awful slogan. and People were really taken. People took the mickey out of it and lost them votes because it was everywhere. Whereas online, it's just you. And yeah. you can target really well. You can actually create... It's, in real time, you can create... You can alpha beta test hundreds and thousands of adverts. That's what happened during the Trump campaign. In real time, to see how people respond brexit, the brexit referendum doesn't seem to have been quite as sophisticated as that, but that's where I, that's where we 're going and it's the reasons i 'm so interested in this work is that this is the direction of travel of our politics, and we ha- you know right now, for example, in the united kingdom, there's probably about you know in the last month well over half a million pounds were spent on Facebook ads from various campaigns uh, initially, there were more from the anti brexit campaigns, but now it's far more pro brexit. The anti-Brexit campaign's funding is quite opaque. A lot of it's the people's vote, and best for Britain. We know where the headline money comes from. It's, mm. A lot of it comes from the Open Society, from George Soros and, and other people like that, who's become this bogeyman the right. And a lot of the money from the pro-Brexit ads, we just have no idea where it comes from.
0: So this is the direction of travel. This now, is the direction right?
1: of travel, yeah. This is, but I mean, how do we, we regulate
0: that? Of... But, I mean, are you able to regulate that? Because, you know, Facebook is global.
1: Well, well yes, that's true. But at the moment, what we do is... Uh, hope that tech companies will re- will will regulate it for us. That Let's seems to be the case. Yes. Let's we indeed, and that's the problem. That's the conversation we need to have. Uh, and it's interesting it's happening in Ireland actually the Irish Parliament's got a a working group that's looking at this they're looking to set up a new electoral regulator they've realised that the the old one has failed which it has it doesn't work properly and they're looking at it what's really stark and one of the reasons I I still do this work and we still do it at Open Democracy is that this isn't happening this change isn't happening in the United Kingdom we're not learning from the stuff that happened before we're not looking to change
0: but but then is that because perhaps people don't accept there's a problem because I'm I'm very aware whenever you raise anything to do with Brexit you're going to infuriate people and you know it's 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 become super super tribal so if you know you voted brexit you see any attack on the referendum their referendum win as an attack on their legitimacy rather as an actual uh, a democratic issue so is that perhaps you know are people ready to hear it I mean we're still in the middle of this we're recording this you know at, you know in February 2019. Still no deal. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it feels as divided as it ever was. And, you know, it's like half of the people accept that there's some kind of problem with dark money and fake news. And the other half of people think you're attacking, you're just saying that because you don't like the referendum result, which is why I asked you, and you know, there's the same work being done into the, the, the Remain side. You, you know, is there... I guess I'm just trying to figure out, you know, do, 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 if only half of the people think there is a problem, are you ever going to get any change?
1: I think there's and there's a real problem. And I mean, is there a problem? We're I mean, seeing this across. And I think the problem is that we do have this issue now with kind of what, it's a kind of equivalent, a, a, a battle for equivalence. And I think it's a false battle for equivalence where we have to see, you know, and even just like you know, get into the weeds of some of our work, you know, I, um, I published a story a few months ago about so the DUP's donation. The De- The Electoral Commission. Uh, there was a really good, great BBC Northern Ireland Spotlight documentary about the DUP, Brexit, and dark money, uh, presented by my friend Jim Fitzpatrick, which I'd recommend anybody to watch. It's on available on YouTube, and that goes into uh, it's a really great program, full of reveals, full of reveals about uh, Michael Richard Cook, who lives in Glasgow and his waste, his waste company, all the rest of it. So I FOI'd, I sent Freedom of Information requests to the Electoral Commission to see what conversation they had internally about it. This program brought out a lot of new information. It's great. The Directorate Commission spent some total of about seven or eight emails, initially going, oh, there's some really interesting new material. It's then going, oh, no, we're not going to look at it, though, really. We think it's all fine. It's happened for about two weeks and decided we were going to make an announcement on the same day because Priti Patel had made a complaint to the Directorate Commission about it remain. They'd spent about eight or nine months looking at it, found, said, ruled that there was nothing to see. And they said, we, we should actually put these two out together at the same time. Before they even looked at the Spotlight Program A depth, they decided these two announcements should go out together. And it is the, that is part of the problem is that we're seeing this in terms of a tribal political thing. Mm. And, that's, and it's, that's one side of it. And the other side of it is we're looking for politicians to do something that they're not really going to want to do, which is to bring in more transparency. Politicians don't like transparency. And this is what this is about. It's about transparency. It's so people know. So if someone comes up onto the BBC and says, you know, I'm from this think tank, you know where the money comes from. You know, and you can ask them about where that comes from. If a politician is standing on a political platform, you know where the money behind them comes from. And that, without that, you know, Ameri- we, don't, we, we can see what it looks like when that doesn't happen. It's so easy to do. That. Just look at America. You can see what that does to a political system.
0: Do you think that's the way we're heading in the UK? Do you think that's where we're going?
1: We don't have Citizens United, thankfully. You know, we don't have that level of... Uh, and we still don't have that level of culture of, of political spending... But the flip side of it means actually really small amounts of money can make a big difference. That's one of the reasons why the, I think the, the Brexit referendum stuff is really important. It's because, you know, say the BUP, that £435,000, which is a lot of money, can make a big difference. I think that's the big issue is that, and it, even going forward into other elections, small amounts of money can make a big difference.
0: Is it the money or is it the way the money's spent? Because we talked about the analogue versus digital. You know, Remain spent an awful lot of money, but... To, How many minds did they change? And it it seems more from, from, from a lay perspective, it's not necessarily that there was a massive financial advantage to the Leave campaign. It was more that the way they were spending, and crucially perhaps that their message and... If if you go onto the, the open net website, there was a piece I was reading, I think it was published quite recently about some of the ads, uh, the Facebook and social media ads that you'd managed to uh, you'd managed to get a hold of. And I was looking at these things saying, couldn't say that on the telly and oh, I don't know if you could say that in a paper. You know, it was, some of it was very, very bad taste. Um, so you know, you could you could have like, you know, very little money. But the way that it it appears that that money was being spent was perhaps, um, I mean, I don't know, did you find, would any of those ads have broken laws?
1: No, because we don't really have, like, um, we don't, it's very, very difficult. It's, like, it's very hard um, to get to the stage, you know, Political party advertising uh, party advertising, is covered by the Advertising Standard Authority, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult to say, you know, at what point you would actually break a law. What are you selling?
0: You mm-hmm. know,
1: it's not quite the same as saying this detergent is better than all the other detergents. You know, often the message you're saying is, is actually, is is quite different to that. It's... I know some of those, because actually it was a story I wrote about Facebook ads, which is it's quite interesting because what had happened was on the back of the Irish abortion referendum, where we did a lot of work on that in open democracy as well. Um, and during that referendum, money was pouring in from the United States into the, uh, into the anti-abortion movement. Mm. And that started becoming an issue. And people started talking about it a lot. And Facebook were starting to get under pressure. So they, said, they brought in this news thing saying, you can only spend money on our, in advertisements in Ireland if it's, um, if it's money that's been spent within Ireland. Uh, which is quite easy to break. We showed that you could break it quite easily. But that was their new rule. And what, and the back of that, they brought in kind of what they call transparency reports for only a couple of countries, the United States, Brazil, and Britain. So if you go onto Facebook, it's hard to find. Most people don't know what's there, but you can find these kind of weekly breakdowns of advertisement spending. So I started looking at these, and I started seeing, you could see that um, the, pro, the anti-Brexit groups, their spending was starting to trail off in the last few months. Um, a couple of pro Brexit groups, one in particular called Britain's Future, their spending was really increasing. And the thing with the pro, the anti, the anti Brexit groups, Brexit for Britain, people and People's thought they don't declare all their spending. Uh, I, I think they, sh- they should have to. Um, but they also have campaign headquarters. You can ring them up and talk to them. Britain's Future uh, is is just a web page. Like there's one person's name associated with it. It's not. An, it's not even remotely you know how that. It's it spent a quarter million pounds on ads in the last two months. There's no clarity whatsoever. Like, no, There's not even a hint of clarity about where this money could possibly have come from. But that's not against Facebook's advertising standards because what, what Britain's future is doing is going on and saying, this is Britain's future, this is a Facebook page, here's an ad. So that's what all the transparency is. That's Facebook's transparency. And that's the difference now with the older political model, which would be the Labour Party goes on and has an ad. And okay, it's tied to the Labour Party. You know who the Labour Party are. You know how to find them. And actually it's still the case, say, with, they're still quite analogue, People's Vote and, and Best for Britain. You can still ring those people up and go, "Who, who? what is this ad? What are you doing? You can bring them on the radio and all the rest of it. They've got contact numbers. Mm-hmm. These guys don't. There's no footprint for any of this. But it's not breaking any of Facebook's rules because they're telling you who's funding it. It's just a name. And that's part of the problem. And this is where the dark money kind of thing comes from. Uh, uh, to go back to the very start of it, the Democratic Union's party, £435,000 from Brexit, came from something called the Constitutional Research Council. It sounds grand, but really it's only got one known member, Michael Richard Cook, who lives outside Glasgow. Uh, it's called an unincorporated association, which is, which basically means it doesn't have any legal standing whatsoever. We could create the Outwit, uh, we could call it the Outwit research, research Council. Let's do it. Right He's now. got
0: five million quid. Yeah.
1: We can, we can do it now, and we. Everyone's can make, like
0: rummaging in their pockets. We can make not. political
1: donations. We don't have to. We don't have to publish anything. We don't right. have to publish accounts. We don't have to publish uh, addresses or anything. And that's what's that's why and, and that's kind of the epitome of this sort of dark money. It's the use of what are basically essentially front groups uh, to put money into the political system.
0: And are we seeing more of it? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say we are. It's hard to tell. It's definitely hard to tell. But I think it's fair to say that there's more because uh, I do think Brexit has been the kind of a. Uh, because Brexit in particular is a, is a thing where you've got outcomes that are quite discernible. It's definitely something that has, you know, in, in the past. people it's focused the it's, mind. Oh, It does in a way like we've always seen people spending money to influence stuff. The tobacco lobby has been spending millions and millions and millions for years, often spending money on particular politicians and all the rest of it. But this is a, I think this is more sophisticated. Uh, and what it's part of is also it's kind of like buying the idea space, because historically parties produced things like policies. They produced ideas. That's really gone now across the political spectrum. You know, there's, there's been a hollowing out of that. And all of that stuff is now coming from this world of lobbyists and think tanks. And that world is much it's it's actually a much more corrosive form of, of corruption of the political system than that, the kind of traditional backhanders, where you just give somebody money to do something for you, because actually this is buying the idea space.
0: So what do you think the future holds?
1: Uh, for, for for open democracy? Well, I think
0: for our democracy in general. I mean, if this is the way things are going, if, you know, you can wield an awful lot more influence um, on platforms like... Instagram, Facebook, you can reach an awful lot more people than you could with a a televised party political broadcast, for example. Um, You can can tailor that message a lot more than you could, for example, uh, with just a blanket leaflet that gets printed out a couple of dozen thousand times. Are we are we changing enough to meet that demand is there a problem that needs to be resolved and do people care i mean that's the, the the thing which which strikes me the most do people care enough about this change to actually make politicians want to do anything about it
1: well to, to go backwards about do people care about what's happening i think i think i think the problem at the moment because it's still getting pulled into a kind of a partisan political debate but it really is not about it shouldn't be about this It should be about, well, how do you regulate democracy in the 21st century? How do we regulate democracy in digital age? It's quite clear that this system is broken. There's no two ways around it. Because the big difference now is that, you know, say take Facebook ads. Take these Facebook ads we're looking at. Almost none of those Facebook ads from pro-Brexit, anti-Brexit have been paid for by political parties. But they're pushing messages that some in political parties totally want whether they are people who want a second referendum or people who want a hard Brexit. So that's a totally different space what we used to have, where you'd have messages been pushed by political parties. Now you're seeing interest ro- around particular issues. And this is almost certainly going to increase in the United Kingdom as we into the coming years. And that's a huge difference. And this is what you see in America, where you're able to be one step away. It's not the campaigns that are doing it. It's these, it's, it's someone it's else. Special it's a super PAC. It's an interest group. So you can you can disassociate yourself. The Probably the most famous thing where people became aware of it, in the United States and here was, was if you remember, people, listeners way back when John Kerry was running against uh, George Bush and there was these um, ads about what did John Kerry do, um, these swift boat veterans. John Kerry was a, was a celebrated Vietnam vet and basically there are attack ads against John Kerry uh, funded by dark money. Mm. And that was a really significant moment. And ever since then we're starting to see this more and more because it's about sh- taking, it's about having leverage in the political process. In terms of what's going to be do, done about it, I think it is, you know, the report that came out from Parliament is really scathing. It's basically saying the electoral regulation is not working. It's broken. And I think it's really incumbent on everybody, like you know, all elected officials to go, well actually this isn't a party political thing. This isn't something about remain and leave. It's not a Brexit thing. It's something that we have to tackle. And the sad irony is that like, the European Union has been is, is is has been in the last couple of years is finally waking up to this, but and it's getting it's definitely getting its act together on this. But uh, across Europe, you know, we're going to have the European elections coming up in May. We're already starting to see. It just broke yesterday the story about Matteo Savini and the Lega Nord getting three million pounds from Vladimir Putin. You know that, and it's been stood up. So this is this is where money is coming in, and in political, you know, this is the big difference. Three million pounds into a political system you know, can reap millions and billions of pounds as an outcome. So for people who want to influence the political process, the returns are huge. You can make a lot of money if you can influence the political process.
0: Right, well, we're going to put our hands down the back of the sofa, see if we can find that three million quid or five million quid. We'll start out with, um, what's it called
1: again? What kinds of? Oh, the Outwith Research Council.
0: The Outwith Research Council. Um, and so if you want to donate to that, feel free. And you if know. you want if you
1: want to donate to open democracy, go to www.opendemocracy.net.
0: I accept cash. Um, just getting on. No, but um there's obviously there's there's lots to think about with this. Lots of background reading to do as well. Unfortunately, uh, PCU you and the team at Open Democracy have been uh, working on this fairly consistently uh, for a couple of years. There's some fantastic articles on there, opendemocracy.net. And it's still very much an ongoing story. I mean, we're yeah, in we're, the middle of we're, this. We're, we're,
1: we're continuing, as a, the reason I'm plugging it is because we're continuing to raise money to try and keep going with this because there's still so many unanswered questions and there will be. A, we're going to I think we'll be doing a lot of work in the European Parliament elections as well because we do work in a pan-European Basis, we'll continue to be doing work in the United Kingdom. There will be a general election eventually again, and a lot of these issues are going to they're going to recur again. I think we, we, these are not. This is the way our democracy is going to be run into the future, and that's why it's so important to address it now.
0: Okay, so um, do check out that website. Uh, do of course uh, well, listen back to the podcast to see if you can get more out of it. But certainly a story uh, very important, very important to keep following. Uh, we're going to leave it there because I'm very aware that. We could keep talking about this for days, uh, really, especially since I've just had my wine delivered, so we keep going for quite some time. Uh, but we will wrap it up. Thank you very much uh, from everyone here at Outwith. Before we go, Peter, we've plugged the website. If we want to follow you on Twitter, which yep. is the uh, best way to get a hold of me. You find me
1: at Peter K. Gagan.
0: At Peter K. Gagan. Um, and of course, if you want to follow the Out With podcast, which I'm sure you're already doing, we're at Out With a podcast. Um, we um, uh, have lots more, of course, up um from the podcast. We're now in our second season. If you want to go back and listen to any of the other episodes, uh, do check them out. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on YouTube, we're on a bunch of other podcasting apps. Um, so do follow us. Um, hit subscribe if you can, that way you won't miss out on our new ones. And um, uh, one final plug, I'm very aware we're plugging everything here. Um, uh, Do you want to, to put a shout out to our sponsors, The Ferret? And remember, if you use the code OUTWITH19, that's OUTWITH19, when you subscribe, you can either get three months free, or if you're going for an annual subscription you get 9 british pounds off an annual subscription which is a very good deal. It is a
1: very good deal. It's I, exceptionally think it's, yeah, good it's, deal. I think good. yes. I think I think it's it's a very good way to support independent journalism.
0: It absolutely is. So head to the Ferret. that's theferret.scott. um subscribe and remember to use your code outwith19 uh, to get uh, to get a cheeky little discount. Thank you very much Peter it's been great having you in the kitchen. Thank
1: you for taking me to the kitchen.
0: And um Stay tuned, hit subscribe, and we'll hear from you all very, very soon. Bye-bye.